You're listening to Bethany Radio. More content is available on iTunes or online at BethanyBibleLeroy.com. So it's in Mark chapter 11. We're going to be in verses 1 through 1 through 11. So Mark 11, 1 through 11. As you're getting there, just by way of review from last week, uh, had Madeline and Malachi both turn in. I picked the name out of my little cup back there, and Malachi was chosen here. And Malachi, I think if we added up Malachi's pictures, we would have a picture book of Mark uh, like this. Pretty consistent and helpful as we look where we were at last week with a fellow named Bart, right? Bartimaeus, and he says, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Jesus says, your faith has healed you. Of course, the the crowd was there before all this saying, be quiet. And then you've got the man in the corner, I can see. And uh, this man leaped and ran and found Jesus and came to Jesus, given eyes to see. And now this week, we continue that journey on from Jericho, now up almost literally in elevation uh, towards Jerusalem. So let's read God's word. Beginning in Mark 11, verse 1. Let's hear his word this morning. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it and will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street and they untied it. Some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told them what Jesus had said and they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus And threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. Let me pray again for us. Lord, we ask during our time together right now that you would look favorably on this time. You would, by your spirit, work through this time. Work in us. Lord, work in me, the preacher. Work in them, the, the hearers, people, everyone gathered, every heart gathered here. May you open our hearts and reveal yourself in greater ways to us by your word. We, we are thankful for your word. And Lord, I pray uh, you would reveal to us, guide our time in it together. May we leave here not, not being the same, having worshipped our King. And so we ask this in that name. 
that name above every other name, the name of Jesus. Amen. Well, out of any place to make a public proclamation as a king for Jesus, it would seem on the outskirts of Roman-occupied Jerusalem to maybe not be the wisest of places. Maybe a remote village somewhere more distant would allow time to assemble the masses, kind of organize, maybe plan the attack, do a little more quiet, but not so today. Today is the day. Today, where we're at in Mark, Jesus mounts this colt, this, this young donkey, and he's going to ride into Jerusalem. And as we've journeyed through Mark together over this past year more, we're used to secrecy with Jesus. He desired that. Uh, seldom obeyed, but he desired this secrecy. Those that would be healed uh, desired that they would, they would keep silent, but they didn't. They would go proclaim what he had done. And so we're accustomed to this request of Jesus for silence, to not, not be spoken what happened. But, but today, today's different. Today, Jesus is not asking for silence, but he's going to mount this donkey and he's going to ride in to the praises of some of what we just sang, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. And we'll look at that in a minute. Today, Jesus reveals himself as king. The king according to Scripture. Of course, we've already heard him say this back in Mark 1.15. He talked about the kingdom of God has, was at hand. We've heard the crowds in amazement as one who taught with authority. We've seen the demons were subject to this one. And now Mark brings us to this scene, this scene on the outskirts of Jerusalem. So let's journey with the crowd. Let's just record really the fulfillment of Scripture as Jesus comes. So I hope your Bibles are ready and you're good, ready to go to different places throughout Scripture to see what we're going to see in this passage here. Let's look at verses 1 through 2 again. When they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethpage. Now, just a little side note, nothing long here. For I'm 41. For 41 years, I've pronounced it Bethpage. I never saw the H. I think all of yours have the H in there. That's why I hesitate when I read it. In the Greek, it's called Bethphage. Now, that sounds weird because I've always pronounced it Bethpage. So if I say Bethphage, just translate Bethpage in your mind and, and go on. Don't let that distract you today. But I'm, I'm trying to be faithful to, to, to reading it, or at least I'm reading the H in there. You could say Bethphage, maybe, something like that, and Bethany. Okay? Let's move on. Regardless, we'll put that behind us, all right? But they're at the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two of his disciples, said to them, Go into the village in front of you. We're not told which one here, but immediately as you enter it, uh, you will find a cold tide on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. This is along the path that the crowds are heading from, you're going to go from Jericho up to Jerusalem. They're going towards Passover time. You're going to come through these different areas, through this Bethany, through Beth Page, Beth Foggy, whatever, however you say it. Before arriving at the Mount of Olives, to the, uh, let's see, if this is uh, uh, to the west, I'm sorry, to the west, so to the east, Mount of Olives, you, you come over this Mount of Olives, and there lies Jerusalem as you come over this mount. If any of you have Google Earth, it's fun. You can go find this route, and you can examine, you can go down, and you can see the terrain and what they might have 
generally, in a general sense, seen as they traveled on this route and into the city, the city of kings, Jerusalem. And so Jesus commissions this task, bring a colt to me. Somewhere along the way, Jesus sends two of his disciples ahead of him, and he's got those instructions. You're going to find a colt, bring it to me. I think we see here Jesus has a plan here. This is not, I don't think there's a feeling of kind of a, this is a make it up as we go. We're just kind of winging this thing. There's a plan. Here's what Kent Hughes says. In all of this, we observe Jesus, Jesus' painstaking premeditation. He had carefully ordered everything. The day and hour were selected from eternity with countdown perfection, even to find a colt tied up somewhere. According to Matthew's account, the disciples were to find a donkey and tied with her a colt, the foal of a donkey. Here's what the ESV Study Bible says. It says this in regards to Matthew's account. It says the unbroken young colt's mother moving alongside would be the best way to calm it during the noisy entrance into Jerusalem. So there's two. Mark just here, he just records there's a colt that Jesus is going to get on. But you can see that idea. Maybe the mom's with the colt. Give some calmness as these crowds are, are chanting, shouting, praising. But verse 3, Jesus gives kind of a just in case. I, I don't think it was just in case for Jesus. I think he knew. But he tells them this in verse 3. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it, and we'll send it back here immediately. And Jesus puts it out here now. Maybe we passed over it quickly, but he puts out here. You know, somebody might ask, but he says, the Lord has need of it. It's beginning to reveal who he is. While the disciples leave, Mark records what happened in verses uh, four through six. Just as we saw, it says, and they went away, they found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. I'm. I'm not an expert on where you put your colt, but I'm thinking outside in the streets, not a, not the place where you normally keep your colt. Um, I think there's some planning here. Uh, and they untied it. Verse 5. Some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. So these just disciples, they find this as predicted, as Jesus had said, and even those that question them say, what are you doing? And my question is, we come to this, we're six verses into this passage and we're, we're talking about a cult and some questioning of people as they go get this cult. There's a lot of, in, in biblical terms, six verses seems like a lot of verses. And, and we've just gotten a cult. What's going on here? And I, I think there's maybe two reasons we could look at why there's this focus on this particular mode of transportation for Jesus at this time. One is the questions predicted by Jesus and asked, asked, I should say, by those around, standing around this cult, you know, why are you doing this? What are you doing? I think they're really questions for the reader as well. I, I believe this happened in this way, these questions, but they're questions for us as we read through this so that we start asking these questions. Why are you doing this? And what are you doing? It's the questions we, as we read this, are asking, Lord, 
Okay, so we're going. Why the cold? Why this tide of cold? Why do we need to go through this? Can't we walk? It's, it's maybe not that far compared to the journey from, from where he's come from, from Galilee. Why this cold? And I think those questions are part of this, part of the point here of even Mark of helping us as an, as an audience say, what's going on? And the short answer is what, what Jesus says, the Lord has need of it. That's the short answer. He needs it. Enough said. But even further, the longer answer is Jesus is fulfilling Scripture. He's revealing himself as a king. And one of those places from Old Testament times would be the place of Zechariah. I want you to turn there to this small, this minor prophet, Zechariah, chapter 9. If you need to go to the table of contents, do that. Try to find, we don't often head to Zechariah, but find it. It's just a little bit back from where we're at in Mark, a little bit to the left in your Bible. If you're using a black one from a black ESV Bible from our chairs, it's page 797. I'll give you a help there. So if you got a black one, you're, you're easy. It's 797. Find that. But you're going to go to Zechariah chapter 9. And we're going to read 9 through 13 in just a little bit here. Zechariah chapter 9. It's really the Lord here in Zechariah. He is going to come to the aid of Israel, his people, against her enemies. And Zechariah adds this about a coming king. And now I think as we read this, you're going to see what's going on. Why is he doing this? What's this about? So let me read Zechariah 9, 9 through 13. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Where are we at? We're at towards Jerusalem, right? Behold, Your king is coming to you, righteous and having salvation. We'll talk more about that in a bit. Is he humble and mounted on a donkey? And it gets specific, doesn't it? On a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim and the war horse from Jerusalem and the battle bow shall be cut off and he shall speak peace to the nations His rule shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you also, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will set your prisoners free from the waterless pit. Return to your stronghold, O prisoners of hope. Today I declare that I will restore to you double. For I have bent Judah as my bow. I have made Ephraim its arrow. I will stir up your sons, O Zion, against your sons, O Greece, and wield you like a warrior's sword there is kingly warrior language but the king comes humble mounted on a donkey and reading this reading this from Zechariah I think we can understand why expectations were high amongst those Jews of the day for a literal rule of the Messiah against the oppressors of Israel but for Jesus the battle is going to be different at this point. The battle he would fight on this entrance to Jerusalem, it was a much greater battle and he would have a much greater victory than any land control. He would not conquer, at this point, the city of Jerusalem, but the power of sin and death by his death and resurrection on the cross. So here comes this king, fulfilling Zechariah, humble, mounted, 
on a donkey. So this colt, this foal of the donkey, used by God to reveal a king. And as the disciples return with this transportation, Jesus continues to be revealed as king now by the actions of this crowd. We're back in Mark now, 11, verse 7. Now the crowd and their actions do are, take part in this revealing. Verse 7, And they brought the colt to Jesus and threw their cloaks on it, and He sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. Here they lay down before Jesus their garments and their cloaks. Others spread branches before Him. Much like, you know, even just reading last week, Bartimaeus, remember he threw off his cloak and he ran to Jesus. Now we've got, again, I think there's some sort of kind of tie-in. I don't know how much. It's just speculation. But Mark tying in this idea of throwing off the garment to place in front of the king coming. Now, how do we get, how do we, what do you mean throwing off a garment reveals a king? Again, let's get back into Scripture. Scripture, I love it when it's the best commentary around. You can read people, but Scripture helps us the most. And it's found in 2 Kings chapter 9. So I want you to go there. Find the book of 2 Kings. I don't have a page number for you. Uh, it's a little bigger book, so you've got a lot better chances of finding it. 2 Kings 9. Head there. Chapter 9. We're going to look at verse 11 in a little bit, but just a just a brief background to where we're at to help us understand this placing of the garments, this this even the idea of branches here, but more the garments before Jesus. How does this fit in in second Kings nine? We're going to get a cultural glimpse, really, of a similar scene going on. It's going to help us understand this context here in second Kings nine. While the reigning king of Israel, he's laying wounded from a battle with Syria, one of the prophets, Elisha, sends a young man, one of the sons of the prophets, it says, to anoint a new king over Israel. And so this young man goes out from Elijah to find this, this new king. His name is Jehu, the commander of the army. And he takes Jehu kind of by himself and he anoints him. One way, he messiahs him. He, he anoints him king over the people of the Lord, over Israel. And he gives him orders to strike down the current king of the line of Ahab. Ahab was an evil king. He orders on Jehu, go strike him down. And now we get to verse 11. We've seen him anointed by this young man, kind of in a secretive place. And Second Kings 9.11 says this. When Jehu came out, kind of from this more off secretive place, he came out to the servants of his master, they said to him, Is all well? Why did this mad fellow come to you, this young man? And he said to them, You know the fellow and his talk. (laughs) Verse 12, And they said, That is not true. Tell us now. And he said, Thus and so he spoke to me, saying, Thus says the Lord, I anoint you king over Israel. And here's what helps us understand where we're at. Verse 13, Then in haste, every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. So back in Mark, as that helps us understand here, they take their garments and place them before a king. As we come back to the book of 
Mark and our chapter today, 11. Even in these few verses, we see the actions of this crowd are really revealing there is a king coming. He is on the donkey, Zechariah. He's coming along, and there's other places you can look at Scripture for this, but he's coming along, being revealed, and their actions reveal Jesus as a king. This leads then from these actions to a proclamation, really an acclaiming and a praise of who is coming before them. Now we get to verse 9 and 10. We're back in Mark 11. And those who went before and those who followed were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. We hear these loud praises, loud voices begin to praise and shout behind Jesus and in front of Jesus. We want to take just a little bit of time to think through some of the language being used here. And to do this, we need to go one other place. So find the book of Psalms and in particular, Psalm 118. We've been to Zechariah. We've been to uh, 2 Kings 9. We're heading to Psalm 118. To see some of this language here. Psalm 118, it's part of a grouping of Psalms, uh, 113 through 118. They're closely related to this celebration of Passover where the, the crowd is heading to. And so this Psalm 118 is a type of a psalm of a maybe something sung as they headed up the mountain and on their way to Jerusalem, this singing of this Psalm 118. Thinking about God's deliverance of his people, much like the Exodus, remember, of Moses and taking them out of captivity. They would sing songs of this. And so these Psalms, 113 through 118, have this Exodus deliverance type feel to them. And as I read, I'm going to read the entire psalm. I want you to picture, okay, as I'm reading it, put yourself as one of the crowd walking maybe over the Mount of Olives, coming down. You're seeing Jerusalem before you. You're seeing Jesus on that colt, that younger donkey, people, branches. People are praising. Garments are coming off to put before him. Picture that as I read through Psalm 118. And we'll get by verse 25 where we need to be. But I, I, I can't do this without reading the whole thing. So here we go. Oh, give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. For his steadfast love endures forever. Let Israel say his steadfast love endures forever. Let the house of Aaron say his steadfast love endures forever. Let, the, let those who fear the Lord say his steadfast love endures forever. Out of my distress, I called on the Lord. The Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is on my side. I will not fear. What can man do to me? The Lord is on my side as my helper. I shall look in triumph on those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in man. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. All nations surrounded me. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. 
They surrounded me, surrounded me on every side. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. They surrounded me like bees. They went out like a fire among thorns. In the name of the Lord, I cut them off. I was pushed hard so that I was falling, but the Lord helped me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has become my salvation. Glad songs of salvation are in the tents of the righteous. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. The right hand of the Lord exalts. The right hand of the Lord does valiantly. I shall not die, but I shall live and recount the deeds of the Lord. The Lord has disciplined me severely, but He has not given me over to death. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. Here's a familiar one. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. This is the day that the Lord has made. Let us rejoice and be glad in it. What day? It's a day of salvation. That's the day. And then verse 25. Save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. And I want to just pause there. Because this is the verse where the word Hosanna, when we sing it, comes from. And you don't see it in the English, but if you were to read it in the Hebrew, you would get a sense of this Hosanna or Hosanna where this comes from. And it's literally this, uh, we pray, save us, or please, O Lord, save us, we pray. It's a call for salvation. And I think in this psalm, probably sung in Jesus' day, you'd hear this, Hosanna, as a cry for salvation, but also a word of praise to God for His salvation. It's kind of like our word, I don't know, it's like our word that we would say, that's cool. We'd look at something and go, that's cool. Okay, it probably used to mean, if we would have said that word 100 years ago, they would have understood that to mean, that's cold to the touch. It's cold. Okay, that's true, Uh if it's a cold thing. But what do we mean? We mean, that's cool. That's neat. I really like that, what I'm seeing. Think in the same way, you've got this word, Hosanna, here meaning, save us, we pray. We pray, save us, Lord. But it's also a, a praise of salvation. So we can sing. It's almost like saying, praise to the Lord for His salvation. Praise the Lord. Hosanna. That's one of the words here. Verse 26 of Psalm 118 then is direct from Mark, takes it direct from here, what the people were saying. That's why we can understand they're, they're, they're singing from Psalm 118. Verse 26, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. Blessed. Now, it, when Mark uses this phrase, blessed, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. You think of What's blessed? What does that mean to say blessed is somebody? And it helps. It's where we get really our word. We we would use at a funeral, a eulogy. In the Greek, it's eulaga. It's kind of this this good, speaking good of somebody. There's kind of good speak 
or praising. You might say blessed or good speak towards that one. We speak well of the one who comes in the name of the Lord. In our case today, it's Jesus that's coming, that they're putting their garments before. But he comes in the name of the Lord. And you saw as we read this psalm, that's why we kind of need to read the whole thing. In the name of the Lord, those in Israel can celebrate because it's in his name that they have cut off uh, or the, the enemies have been, they've been surrounded, but the Lord cut them off in the name of the Lord. And so here comes Jesus and Mark, the crowd singing praise of the one coming in the name of the Lord, or in other words, coming on behalf of God himself. Maybe he will. We're looking to him to cut off our oppressors. In Luke's account of, of our entry of today, where we're at, it says the disciples are singing out, blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. So we think back and we can stay in Mark or Psalm 118 just for a minute, but we think back to this crowd again, this crowd with Jesus heading down towards Jerusalem. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. I, I hesitate to say this crowd understood everything of what was going on. I don't think they did, at least as a whole. They, I don't think they understood stood the real work of Jesus to come, what he was to accomplish, or his deity as God. Certainly a king. There is a revelation of his kingliness. But we have to wonder if they understood all of what king meant here. And I think maybe this end of Psalm 118 helps us. So before we head back, just look at Psalm 118. Let me finish reading 27 through 29. The Lord is God. I mean, think about this in light of Jesus coming. The Lord is God. And he has made his light to shine upon us. Bind the festal sacrifice with cords up to the horns of the altar. What's the altar? Where's the altar? What happens there? Sacrifice. What's Jesus coming to do? Not reign right now in their minds is what he's going to do, I think, but he's got a different purpose. Verse 28, you are my God and I will give thanks to you. You are my God. I will extol you. Oh, give thanks to the Lord for he is good for his steadfast love endures forever. Love is humble, mounted on a donkey, riding into town. To do what a king should not have to do, to die, suffer, die on a cross. Well, back to Mark now. We'll leave Psalm 118 back to Mark 11 and the last verse or verse 10 there. In addition to shouting Hosanna, blessed is he who comes. Verse 10, they shout, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. I think messianic, the Messiah, the expectations, Messiah is coming. They're seeing this one who's going to sit on the throne of David. I think they're anticipating this kingdom. He's on the donkey. Things are going to be happening and moving. And their praise really just circles back again to this Hosanna praise in the highest one. uh, One reference said maybe it's antiphonal. That is those in front said Hosanna and those behind Jesus says uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Uh, blessed is the coming of our, our our kingdom of our father David. And maybe the, those in the front say, Hosanna. And so you've got this praise going as they come. They're praising God as they go. 
And though they may not understand it fully, their praise reveals Jesus as King. And then you have verse 11. And he entered Jerusalem. I think you feel this where the, the, the locomotive is moving. There's this entering of Jerusalem. There's this shouting, Hosanna. And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. <clears throat> we might ask, why didn't Jesus stay longer? What is happening with this verse? Here's what one commentator says, and I thought it's insightful as we think about this verse attached here. It seems kind of just, what do we do with that? Here's what he says. James Edwards says this. It appears to be the moment for him, that is Jesus, to receive the messianic kingdom. There's this moment. Blessed. Hosanna. Blessed is the one who comes. <clears throat> but it, Edwards says, but ironically, nothing happens. The clamoring cl- crowds mysteriously vanish. In a complete anticlimax, Mark reports that the hour was late and that Jesus departed with the twelve for Bethany. I wonder if the crowd was a bit perplexed. Maybe. We're just speculating. You know, I, th- I thought we were conquering today. I thought this king, he's coming. I thought that's what was going to happen. Only later, John even writes about this. He, he writes that even Jesus' own disciples did not understand they, these things. They understood him later on, but they didn't understand him at the time. I believe the crowd thought a king had come, but I don't think they realized Jesus did not come to physically overtake the Roman rule of Jerusalem. There's a note here in the ESV study Bible, and it comes back to this crowd. And I think it's valuable and helpful to understand this this entry of the king and then kind of this verse 11 and so forth. So here's what the study Bible says, the triumphal triumphal entry takes place at the beginning of Passover week, which recalls the Jewish people's liberation from Egyptian slavery. The pilgrims, that's those coming into town, coming into Jerusalem, the pilgrims now anticipate the Messianic, so Messiah's coming, Christ is coming, they anticipate the Messianic liberation from Rome's oppression. The claims of the disciples are ultimately true. But it will not be Rome that is defeated now, but Satan, sin, and death. And so it's hard to conclude the entire crowd and the multitude clearly understood who was before them. He had a much, Jesus had a much greater mission and work to accomplish during this week that really we're going to spend the rest of the rest of Mark in this week before he would face the cross and be raised to life again. Some questions for us as we look back on this section, some by way of application. One is really the main question and I'll have some others, but. Do you know Jesus as king, not as king of just physical victory? Do you know him as Lord and Savior 
of your life? Is he more than a good teacher, a good example? I'd encourage you to worship him today by believing on him for salvation. Cry out, Hosanna, save me, please, O Lord. And then hear him call back and say, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. You know him as your king. Not just knowing about him. Is he your king, your reigning king? I'm under you, Lord Jesus. And then a couple of how questions or in what way. And let me just challenge us. In what way does our life reveal Jesus as king? This passage, I believe Jesus is revealing himself as king. And I'm just asking by way of application, do our lives, do they reveal in our lives that Jesus is our king? And I ask first, do your animals reveal Jesus as your king? That's an odd question. I know. Do your animals reveal Jesus as your king? Uh, I don't think this means, my question does not mean uh, if you have a donkey, make sure he's, he or she is in the Easter program or in the Christmas program carrying Mary. That's not what I mean by do your animals reveal. What I mean is, how are you using what you have to reveal Jesus to others? Here, here a donkey is used. A tied up donkey is used to reveal Jesus the King. And I'm just asking by way of application, what do we have? What things do we have? What possessions? Your van, your truck, your TV, the things you wear, your toys... Are they things God may use to reveal himself, to reveal the king to others? I think he can. He uses things, possessions. They can be instruments of his revelation. You have a nice grill. That's wonderful. Does it help you reveal the king to others? Maybe you have somebody over and you enjoy great steaks from the grill. Or you say, I can use my grill. It's part of revealing the king. I need to buy a better grill. I don't know. You can use that. But uh, my grill, can I go to my neighbor? Come over. Come over for hot dogs, hamburgers on my grill. You, you get, kind of get what I'm asking? Begin to pray about how God might use what you have, not just for pleasure and needs, but as a means that, that we would be stewards of our money and everything we own, that we would reveal King Jesus to a world that needs this light. They need Him for salvation. If not, they are lost. And they will spend eternity separated from Him, eternal torment in hell. May God use our grills and our cars to reveal Himself to others. Second question, do your actions reveal Jesus as King? How you act, does it reveal Jesus is your King? We may not physically have an opportunity to take off our garments to put under the feet of Jesus like they did here on this entry. But I think Scripture would say there are opportunities to do likewise for those in need. A passage we've come to over, I think multiple times as we've been through Mark is just Matthew 25. You don't need to go there. But here's just what it says in light of this. And I'm a little shorter on this question, but just hear this. I think it's, it's worth way of application. I'm not saying this passage is all about 
we need to just take off our garments. That's the point. The point is Jesus is king. He's revealed as king. I'm saying, how do we apply this out? What does this look like in our lives? Here's what Matthew 25 says. The king will say to those on his right, come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. Remember, they asked, when did we see you this way? And the king will answer. Remember, truly, I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Perhaps physically, it is a garment given, maybe given to an enemy. Someone that sues you, give them your tunic, right? There's garment work going on. There's giving to make way for the king, to reveal Jesus as king. And lastly, does your praise reveal Jesus as king? Hopefully this week, as we approach Easter next weekend, in the midst of days, I mean, does it seem like it was just last Sunday? For some of us, it's slow. For some of us, it's like we were just here Uh They fly by. I hope we can take time this week to praise our Savior and slow down. We can do that by song. We listen to Him by His Word. We call out to Him in prayer as needy children. Lord, I need You today. King Jesus, rule over my life today because I need Your power. I'm weak. There's a resource. I'll put it up on our Facebook page later on, maybe today. There's a devotional. It's called Your Sorrow Will Turn to Joy. I'll put it on there. It's online. You can get it, ebook, whatever. And it's, there's some morning and evening devotions through Easter week here for us to quiet and to turn back in praise as we approach next weekend. We praise Jesus because our ultimate peace is found in this humble servant who came on a donkey to Jerusalem. He didn't come to take over in a war, did he? But in suffering. There was no army behind him. He ended up abandoned and betrayed and spit upon and mocked. Remember the crown they gave him? It was not the crown he should have for eternity, and he does. It was that crown of thorns placed upon him. That he might, remember as we saw in Mark 10:45 that he might give himself as a ransom for many that he might he didn't come to be served he came to serve to give his life for enemies our king jesus in his grace died for his enemies that his enemies might be freed from sin to know him and to live in his peace that's the king coming that's the king that rode in on this donkey And I pray that our lives would bring praise and reveal to others around us, our own family, who is king in our life. Not us. Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we can acknowledge you by song. Hosanna. Glory to God. You're the king. We can acknowledge it through Scripture and we can see it. You're on a donkey. Understand your kingship, your kingly rule. But Lord, we want it to go from our head to how we act, how we live out 
Lord, we want to believe your kingship in a way that all of our life, including what we own, the things you've given us, the family relationships we've been given us, the, the places where we live, the jobs you've given us, are part of revealing to others this King. And Lord, we just pray that you'd start that in our own hearts, that, that rather than first worrying about what other people see, we worry about what we see. Do we see you as our King? And I pray by your power, by the Spirit, you'd help us to see you as King and come under your authority in every room and area of our life. And then may that proclamation go out to those who are around. Lord, by your Spirit, help us, for we are weak and not sufficient for these things. Thank you for your humility that took you to the cross and that crown of thorns that we might live with you in joy forever. We praise you, our Lord and our God, King Jesus. Amen.